welcome to uh, New City, and, and um, yeah, welcome to our series, Fortune Favors. Patrick has been um, taking us through a series of the Beatitudes, um, which is a series of teachings by Jesus. Um, he never said, hey, I'm teaching you the Beatitudes. That's the name that we, we came up with later. But it's a series of, of, of sayings that uh, reveal what it, how, to, how to live a blessed life, a fortunate life. Um, and so that's, that's the series we're going through is Fortune Favors. And uh, here's, here's the list. Here, this, this is what we've gone through so far, just to recap. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And usually right around this time, when, when someone reads this list, they think, that doesn't actually sound that blessed. Those, those, the, the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Mourning means you're living a blessed life. Blessed are the meek. This list is full of suffering and sacrifice. This list is full of suffering and sacrifice. And it's not made up of skills that you can, you, you can get, you can accomplish, you can train yourself. These are heart attitudes. This, these are lifestyle things. This, is, this isn't like an Enneagram test where you're like, oh, I got poor in spirit. This is a list of sacrifice and suffering you can't manipulate this list. You can't pretend to be meek. You can't pretend to mourn. You can't pretend to be these things in order to gain blessings from God. But it is a fortunate list. And as you read this list, I think something becomes pretty evident in your heart and in your soul. There has to be, some, something has to happen. There has to be significant heavenly intervention for this list to be accomplished. There's no way I'm perfectly meek. <laughs> There's no way I will be perfectly poor in spirit. There's no way I could do any of these things unless there is an intervention by someone else. And today is no different. This, this one gets people in, in a special way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, when you hear this verse, you, like some people already, when you hear the word pure, some of you are already feeling a little anxious right? Oh no, here comes the purity talk. The purity in our culture has been co-opted to be talking about sexual ethics. And it's been co-opted so that people feel guilty so that they won't sin. This topic, by and large, has become a topic of guilt of sinners and saints have and have nots. But that is not what this word means. And that is not what Jesus is teaching. This purity, this, this idea of being pure in heart, when you grasp this concept, it is a gracious and beautiful and rich and loving thing that God is blessing us with. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So purity, purity is not supposed to be a terrifying topic. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful topic that reveals the heart of God himself. So let me pray and then we'll um, get into some of the, what do these words actually mean. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this list. <laughs> and as we look at this list, God, sometimes we get overwhelmed, but how, would you help us to remember as we meditate on it this morning, as we think about what we've already studied, that you are the blesser. You are the one who intervenes, and so God, would you teach us how you're blessing us this morning. Uh, in your name, amen. So pure, 
Uh, what does pure mean? So um, I'm, I, I, I'm, this might have been known already from my announcements. I might have let this on. I'm from Nebraska. Um, and so a lot of my metaphors are surrounded, uh, surrounding meat. A lot of, there's a lot of them are meat. Um, I'm working on vegetable metaphors. I'm, I'm workshopping them in my home. Um, but they're surrounding meat. So I remember one time I was hanging out with a couple guys from Kansas City. And Kansas City, Kansas City people, they are very, very prideful about their meat, okay? Especially their barbecue. And so, uh, yeah, I made the mistake. When t- he was prepping the steaks. He got up the, the, you know, the steaks and he's going to put them on the grill. And I, I opened the cabinet and I reached for a seasoning packet. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? I don't know, the seasoning the meat. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, no, you put salt and pepper on it, and that's it. And the salt and pepper is not there for taste. It's to sear the, the, the sides of the steak so that all you taste is steak. That's it. I was like, okay, that's a little intense, but thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll try it your way. And lo and behold, he was correct. Uh, when, when all you taste in steak is steak, it's better. Pure, this word pure just means undiluted. Pure steak, <laughs> Pure water. There's no additives. There's nothing else. To be pure means to be un- whatever it is. It really is. You could even see already with this, with uh, the the purity being talking about sexual ethics, how it's already wrong. Purity is more is closer to integrity. You are who you are. If you are pure, that is what you are in in the center. That is who you are. You are nothing else. You are pure. And we are supposed. To, it says, "To blessed are the pure in heart." Wow, what, what, a, what a word, heart. The word heart appears 862 times in the Bible. That's almost one per page. It's a big topic. Sometimes it means the seat of emotions, basically the, 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 the deciding seat of emotions, and, and, and in this context it means the will. So your heart is the innermost part of you. The innermost part of you that decides everything comes from it, right? So how I move my arms they would say, is, is actually a, 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 an extension of my will. <laughs> how I decide on where to go to school, how I decide on, on who I date, how I decide on where, where I live, all of the decisions come from the heart. The heart is the innermost will. Jesus is saying, blessed are those that are undiluted in heart. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty high standard. <laughs> undiluted in heart. We have to ask, okay, what, what dilutes the heart? What's, what is the heart's purpose? What is its original purpose? There's a lot of verses, like I said, 862, and so I thought for the next, for, I would just read them all for the next, like, four hours. Just kidding. Uh, picked one. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. I, this is a, a fascinating picture of what God intended for the heart. This is right after uh, Israel got the Ten Commandments. They had just been saved from Egypt. This is what God says to them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, whatever way, when you lie down and when you rise. Friends, I think something that we, that we don't often talk about enough is that the Ten Commandments initially was not a list of fear of punishment. The Ten Commandments was originally intended to protect and help the nation of Israel thrive. And the list was intentionally given that they would put it on their heart, that from their innermost will, they would want to follow God. 
They would want to walk in his steps, that it wouldn't be a fearful thing, that there wouldn't be, well, I'll follow so long as God doesn't destroy me, but oh my gosh, we just got saved from 400 years of slavery. We were wandering in the desert. We were almost swallowed by the Red Sea. This God has saved us. Of course I want to do what he asks because of course his way is better. He is the deliverer. He's the rescuer. He's our redeemer. Of course I would want to follow him from my heart. Right? That was the intention. Our hearts were made for a willful submission. What a paradox. (laughs) We don't like that. We don't like submitting to God. But that's how our hearts were intentionally made. They were made to be a vessel of will where with our will we say, I will follow you. I will do what you ask. I will go where you say it to go. That's what they originally were made for. You might be thinking at this point, wow, that seems like a little unfair. Like God set this up for us. Are we just like little robots? However, the heart of God is exactly the same. This is a, this, this willful, our hearts being a willful submission is actually a byproduct, an extension of being made in the image of God. This is one of the things that he already does. The father already was will, is willfully submitting his throne to his son. The father couldn't wait to let his son reign forever and willfully lets the Spirit run the empire. (laughs) The Spirit runs all of his will. Jesus, who did he talk about more than anybody else when he was on this planet? Who, who did, he wanted you to meet someone so bad because he said, this, this person is the greatest person of all time, and I can't wait till you're in eternal bliss with him, and that was his father. I am just doing what my dad told me. That includes bleeding for you even when I did nothing wrong. And then Jesus said, actually, it's better that I leave so that you get the Spirit. I can't wait for you to get the Spirit. And the Spirit does whatever the Father and the Son ask. This beautiful, as Tim Keller calls it, dance, uh, eternal dance of love, where we are just pointing at each other, saying, look at them, look at them, look at them. I, look how beautiful God is, is something that God has designed our hearts to resemble because he resembles it himself. That is what our hearts were made for. However, something happened. (laughs) And this is where the list seems, or or this, this ask seems really, really difficult. Impossible, really. Something happened in our heart at the fall um, that is, I think it's really well described in Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, Jeremiah is a, is a prophet that, uh, the best way I could describe him is that he's a real bummer. Um, if you ever read his books, uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations, don't, don't, don't feel like you're a chicken. Read Psalms at the same time or, I don't know, like watch a Disney movie after. They are, they're a huge, huge bummer. And it's, it's Jeremiah reflecting upon Israel's failures seen in Israel being conquered. Israel was conquered not but because of geopolitical problems, but because Israel failed to trust God. And he's watching this, and then he's watching himself. And Jeremiah, by the way, um, I can't imagine this. He, he, he preached for 40 years. Can you imagine doing this? Can you imagine having a job for 40 years? And your job, let's say you're, let's, let's unspiritualize. Let's say it was, you were in, I don't know, sales. And for 40 years, you made phone calls 
you told someone about this product. Imagine if the product was like, I don't know, an iPhone, like the easiest thing to sell in the, in the entire world. And no one ever, not one person ever listened to Jeremiah. The most unsuccessful <laughs> preacher, prophet ever, and yet here are his words where he, he describes our condition and gives us amazing promises of Jesus in the future. Anyways, this is what he says. You can feel his, his sadness, his bummerness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. Nothing is more deceitful than the heart. That sounds pretty diluted to me. <laughs> Nothing confuses you more and is more sick. So my, my friend Misa came this morning and, and I decided to share my, his, his, one of his favorite stories about me to, to exemplify this. Um, please, please still ordain me on October 15th after you hear this story. Um, but I would love to give you some high school drama to, to show how the heart can be deceitful. Um, and I'm going to use different names because uh, unfortunately last time I had told real names and then one character in the story uh, got trashed by like a bunch of my friends and I was like, that wasn't the point of the story. So we're going to use fake names. Uh, Tammy and Tinny, and, and sorry, Tammy and Tina. Tammy and Tina are, are, were, were a couple of my high school friends. And so um, I had a long time will they or won't they with Tammy. Tammy and I were close for like six years. And when I mean like close, it was like from when I was 10 until 16. So like as close as a middle school person can get to really having a girlfriend, right? So Tammy and I were we, back and forth, back and forth, will they or won't they? And eventually, Tammy revealed to me that she had a crush on my friend Chance. Frickin' Chance, man. So I, I, I said, fine, I'm gonna leave Tammy. I'm not, I'm not gonna pursue Tammy. One day after school, I'm hanging out with Tina. And uh, there, there was a, I went to a Christian school, so you weren't allowed to dance. We had banquets, uh, really fun. Uh, so we had a banquet coming up, and, and uh, Tina said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we, like, pretended to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Now, for those youngins, you might be, like, coloring a book. Whenever someone says, wouldn't it be funny to pretend to be a significant other, they're not pretending, okay? But I said, yeah, that'd be hilarious. How funny would that be? And then we were like, wouldn't it be like hilarious if we started to interact with each other like we were boyfriend and girlfriend all the time, right? Like, I'll call you every night, you know, like we'll, we'll go on a date alone, you know, like that was so funny. So, so Tina and I entered this uh, uh, fake relationship that honestly to me was pretty funny. Like, I don't know why I thought it was funny, but I was like, oh, this is great. And internally though, it was serving another purpose. It was, I, I had felt rejected for so long. So even a fake relationship still felt a little validating. So eventually, Tina and I, you know, we were going steady, uh, fakely. I worked with Tammy at Dairy Queen. I told you, this, this is a complicated web. This is, this is high school drama. So I worked with Tammy at Dairy Queen, and one night, after a hard, hard shift at Dairy Queen, uh, Tammy said to me, I don't like Chance anymore. If you break up with Tina, I will date you. I said, well, not to spoil it, no. Um, I said, okay, sounds easy enough. I'll break up with Tina. Break up, right? Isn't that real? Next day, I call Tina, and I said, hey, Tina, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, we've been having fun. 
I don't, it was, uh, I don't, she didn't say the air quotes because we were on the phone. Um, but I said, I, I think, you know, I think you know that I've had feelings for Tammy for a long time. And this, you said this was fake. So how about we just end it? I heard someone call for her in the background, and I was like, what's happening? She's like, oh, um, they're throwing my birthday party two weeks early. (laughs) This was at her birthday party. Please, friends, October 15th, do not. (laughs) So I said, oh, oh no, oh, we can still, and she's like, no, it's it's too late, but it's okay, I understand. All right, next day is at church, at Romantic Me, I write a little note, Tammy's sitting next to me, hey, wanna be my girlfriend? probably check box yes or no, right? Handed her and she emphatically crosses no. Oh no, what has happened? I thought this was, I thought I met all the conditions, right? The stipulation was I break up with Tina, I did. I got a call later that day from Tammy. And uh, Tammy's like, hey, I, th- I think it's really bad what you did, but I just want you to explain everything that you, that th- why you did everything and why you don't, like you don't really have feelings for Tina. So I do. I describe my relationship, you know, with Tammy, and I then I don't like roast her, but I'm very clear that I never liked Tina, and blah blah blah. After I'm done talking, <laughs> this is the part that always gets people. The last line on that phone call, well, the second to last line was, "Well, thanks for telling us. Tina's been on the call this entire time." Oh my gosh, which I said okay, I think this is over, click. Like, I, there's, there's no recovering from that at all. So the reason I, t- I, I tell that, uh, you know, that drama, high school drama weave is, honestly, they're not the problems in this situation. <laughs> Every decision I made in regards to Tammy and Tina was not for Tammy and Tina. It was for me. At, at no point, even did, you know, I was a little good little Christian boy, but at no point did God enter that equation, let alone anyone else's feelings. It was all about me. And you could see even how I got deceived. How, how, I, I, for a while, maybe I did like Tina, I don't know. Maybe I, but as soon as Tammy was available, and friends, what, what I most wanted was their validation. But that leads to a, dece- a deceiving lifestyle where any new thing that m- might present a little bit more validation, I drop whatever else is happening and I go after that. You can see the deceit and how that was handled. And this is how Jeremiah describes that we can live our lives. Deceived by our innermost will because our innermost will is pointed at us. During that time also, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the dead man's chest came out, as you all remember. And in it, I, I remember this, this, this poignant uh, illustration. I mean, sometimes in those movies, there's like poignant illustrations. It's not, not the whole thing. It's, got a, it's a huge mess. But in it, there's a compass that points to what you most want. And that compass was not pointed at Tammy or, or Tina. It was pointed at me. I wanted my satisfaction. And that led me to deceiving myself and others. Sin when it entered, see, originally sin, when it entered, it wasn't about the apple. It was about, do you need God? That's, what sa- that's the original sin. It wasn't the, the crunch of the apple or the, or the, the squeeze of the pomegranate. Some, some historians think it's a pomegranate. Doesn't matter. It wasn't, it wasn't the fruit. It was the willful rejection of a dependency on God. Satan said, do you really need to trust God for that? Do you really need? Do you, did he really say 
What if you were like God? This is where we need an intervention. We need a heavenly intervention. So another prophet back in the Old Testament who, you know, I'm not judging, but was honestly a lot more successful than Jeremiah, his name was Ezekiel. He wrote some stuff about the heart. And this is, this is back before they, you know, they're, they're prophesying about Jesus, but all they know at this point is that they've broken God's laws so many times that they, the nation has to end. This is not a happy time. But Ezekiel pens these words from God, a promise to us, and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will give you a new heart, God says. Blessed are the pure in heart is not an effort-based blessed. (laughs) You don't purify your own heart. You'll never be able to because in the process, actually, you're still kind of aiming at yourself. (laughs) It's still about you. We need heart surgery. Someone to give us a new heart. And, And there's all kinds of beautiful promises here. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, a new breath of life I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and I will put my spirit within you. God is, is foreshadowing the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. To bring me to Galatians 2.20, this, this, is, this is the promise fulfilled. This is what it's like to live out the promise and it reveals how the promise was fulfilled. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, not, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the, the core message of the gospel is that Jesus came to this earth and he had a pure heart. Nothing diluted it. And he acted perfectly. Everything he did was pure. <laughs> it, was un, it, was, it was perfect submission. He cared for, every, for everyone but himself. He sought the Father's glory, not his own. Everything he did was for, for everyone else. And then collective, we, we killed him. <laughs> We said we would rather have the robber than Jesus. And therefore, and then he completed this willful submission that his father set up, that he would die for his other kids. The father wanted us. And he said, okay, well, there's gotta be a way that we pay for the impurity. We gotta pay for the the dirtiness, the, the dilutions. And Jesus said, I will take them completely upon myself every dilution, every punishment for every dilution is mine. I will take it. And then I'm not just going to die, I'm going to stroll out of the grave, making it possible then for my spirit now to walk into your heart and give you a new heart. Because all of your, all of your dilutions have been, pay, have been paid for and have been made clean. So friends, the, the gospel now The gospel is about, you've heard me say this before, it's about a living person living inside a living person. Jeremiah 17, 9 is no longer true for believers. For those who know Jesus, it's no longer deceitful. Jesus already lives there. That's the new heart. He's there. You have the heart of God inside of you. 
He's already there. There's nothing for which you have to pay. There's no impurity that you have to pay for. Jesus is there. He's already there. Friends, another thing, and I remember talking to my friend Mount about this, about the kingdom and about what heaven is is really about. Friends, the gospel is not about escaping hell later, but experiencing heaven now. Heaven is not a place where you just get to play football forever. Eat a Thanksgiving meal forever. Do whatever, do all the things that you wish you could do on this earth. Watch Netflix forever. Heaven is where you will be in perfect relationship forever glorifying someone else. And you can experience that right now because heaven is in your heart. He's living there already. Reminder, what is, and this is the, what is the reward? What is the reward of being pure in heart? You get to see God, the thing your heart most desperately wants is seeing him. And he did the work to make it possible. He did the work. He was crucified. He gave his spirit. The spirit's power dwells in you. And now your heart is healing you from the inside out. Romans 6.17 is, is a beautiful uh, fulfillment of that, of that promise of Deuteronomy um, 6. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You know, friends, uh, it, j- you have a new heart, but it, there's still, as, as one, another author calls it, there's still guerrilla warfare being waged by the enemy. There's still an enemy that dwells in your members, that's trying to convince you that the battle is still raging. And this author, he, Jerry Bridges, he, he talks about D-Day. I'm gonna get all history major on you. I was a, I was a history major. So in, in uh, World War II, uh, everyone who studies it, who to- and it, th- I listen to everyone else, this is my, is my idea, but really they said that the Germans lost on, Jan- on June 6, 1944. They surrendered a year later, but really they lost when the entire Allied force landed a beachhead in France. Now, they still had two countries to travel, but the war was over. Friends, we're still in that era, but the war is over. The victory is won. Your heart is God's. But now you get to walk in obedience. Now you get to aim it at willful submission and say, I would love to learn more how to follow you. I would love to be obedient from my heart. I now look forward to reading Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I really try with Numbers. I'm really trying to look forward to it. You look forward to obedience because you know the battle is won. You are no longer trying to purify your heart so God loves you. God loved you and he purified your heart and now you get to love him in return. The reason that sin is so bad and the reason that we want to avoid sin, friends, is that what sin does, and this is from a, a, a verse that has meant so much to me, 1 Peter 2, 11, um, but abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, is what Peter says. What our sin does, our sin isn't just like little things that are like good or bad. What sin is trying to do in league with Satan and with death is to say, Jesus didn't win, not yet. You're not done yet. 
You still have to purify yourself before God. You are still dirty. God is still mad at you. You had a bad day because you didn't read the Bible and and God is mad at you until tomorrow morning when you read your Bible. You are mad at someone today. You have to prove yourself to God by tomorrow. And those things then cause us to, actually it increases sin. We actually go to other sins because sin is saying to you, Jesus didn't win. Friends, Jesus won. Blessed are the pure in heart because he purified your heart. That's how we embrace the blessing. We get to experience, the gospel gives you a pure heart to experience God now. The way to embrace and live out of this beatitude, the attitude is to enjoy and revel and thank and invite more and more of God into your daily life. Thank him for the new heart that you've been given. Don't believe that voice that says Jesus lost or he hasn't won quite yet. (laughs) We get to live out of the gospel. We get to live out of the gospel. And, And finally, one other thing that I like to say here is that if you want to stop sinning, stop trying to not sin and start relying upon God. (laughs) It's like uh, Inception, don't think about elephants. What are y'all thinking about? Elephants, except for that one person like, I thought of a hippo. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. All you're thinking about is sin. God, I need you, God, I need you, God, I need you. God, I need you. Thank you for this heart that you've given me. A couple of reflection questions for us. And, and some of these are just, just for us to start. Do I want to see God's glory more than mine? Am I interested in, what is, what is my compass pointed at? <laughs> just to get you thinking. And, and secondly, do I want to go to heaven to experience better earthly things or to see God? Do I want God? Do I want God? The gospel gives you a pure heart to experience God now. I'm gonna give us a couple minutes to reflect on this before we saying God thank you for the new heart you've given us thank you for what you've done for the work that you've accomplished and right now God what we want to do what I want to do myself is I want to present my heart to you say thank you and, and what, what do you want to say to it Maybe there's parts of my heart that don't believe the gospel, that the work is finished. Would you speak to those now? We want to see you, God. Help us. Help us want to see you. Help us want to see you, God. You are so good. Thank you for the goodness of your gospel the new heart you've given, the price you've paid.